This is Poetry for Those Who Don't, the podcast where we write poetry and you can either laugh at us or learn along with us. So Jenna, how are you this week? I am losing my marbles, which is appropriate given it's Mental Health Awareness Week. You had marbles to lose? I did. I had a few left, but now they have gone on holiday since I can't. Um, And they're having a lovely time in the south of France. And I'm here. So how are you? I'm I'm doing all right. I'm just about to start two weeks off of staycation. Gonna try and rediscover a new corner of my house. Oh, are you going to clean your house? Oh my god, there's so much cleaning to be doing. Like not even as a joke. Like oh my god, just no. I think I think this place is just so much better than when I moved in. Like I I can say in no uncertain terms that when I moved in, the oven was on the floor. I mean, that sounds unsanitary at best. And a fire hazard at worst. Yeah. Um, but no, I do. I genuinely think like the longer we all sit in our houses and actually look at our homes, the more we realize just what kind of filth we've been living in. I am honestly staring at the ceiling of my bathroom debating getting out a toothbrush and getting out like the grout to get all the mold out the grout. And I'm just like, seriously, you have so many hobbies. How can this be the topmost thing on your list of things you want to do? I'm I'm just like purposely not wearing my glasses, so I just can't see that thin layer of disgust that's all over everything. Well, you should try getting a dog. There is hair everywhere. I like, want a dog. I want a corgi to hold and but love. Hair in the weirdest places. Like, I'm going to have to wash the skirting boards of my stairs. I'm turning into, I don't know if anybody has ever seen A View from the Bridge, but the wife in that Beatrice, she has this whole mental break. Well, no. Incorrect word. She has this whole kind of mini tiz about cleaning her house before her cousins arrive. And she's desperate to wash the wall. I was going to wash the walls before they got here. And when I was 16, I thought she was like being a lunatic. You know, mad. Yeah. And now I'm like, no, perfectly legitimate thing to do with your time. Let's all go and wash our walls. And that's how you know you're a grown up. Now you have me self-conscious about the state of my walls. I know, right? You sit there and you go, oh, they've never been washed. Maybe I should wash them. What's on there? <laughs> Let's not look too closely. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to be spending the next few weeks out in the golden sun for a few days. Ah. And uh, will you be reading any poetry out in the nice sunshine while you're there? I will. I will. So for, for this week's little read along, uh, I'm reading um, In the Golden Afternoon by Lewis Carroll. Um, also the writer of Alice in Wonderland, yes? Yes, this this was the, the preface poem for Alice in Wonderland. On most copies that you would get at the time, this would be the first thing you see before you actually got to the novel proper. Oh, then maybe I have read it because I used to have an old school, like a super old school like it looked like a folio edition, but it was printed before folio existed. Of Alice in Wonderland. Very vintage. But it smelled very weird. <laughs> <laughs> I find old books smell weird. I don't like it. I love old book smell. This is a lot. It's a very divisive thing. Guys, let us know. Do you like the smell of old books? Because I am super not into it, but a lot of people are. You're just uncultured. Um, <laughs> yes, that's that's my problem. I don't have enough culture. I mean, I have read a, a vintage version of Alice in Wonderland, but then then let me culture Lou. let me let me bring you into the fold. All right, let's see if I enjoy the poem more when I'm not smelling the weird book about it. All in the golden afternoon, full leisurely we glide, for both our oars with little skill by little arms are plied, while little hands make vain pretense our wanderings to guide. Ah, cruel tree, in such an hour beneath such dreamy weather, to beg a tale of breath to beak. To stir the tiniest feather. Yet what can one poor voice avail against tree tongues together? Imperious prima flashes forth her edict to begin it. In gentler tones, the hopes there will be nonsense in it. 
Ultertia interrupts the tale, not more than once a minute. Anon to sudden silence one, in fancy they pursue, the dream child moving through a land of wonders wild and new, in friendly chat with bird or beast, and half believe it true. And ever as the story drained, the wells of fancy dry, and faintly strove that weary one to put the subject by. The rest next time. It is next time! The happy voices cry. Thus grew the tale of Wonderland, just slowly one by one. Its quaint events were hammered out, and now the tale is done. And home we steer, a merry crew, beneath the setting sun. Alice, a childish story take, and with a gentle hand. Lay it where childhood's dreams are twined in memory's mystic band. Like pilgrim's weathered wreath of flowers, plucked in far-off land. You know what? I do like it better. I think, do you ever get that thing where some particularly poetry is designed to be read out loud? It really is sometimes. And it's only when you actually hear somebody else say it that it actually feels like the point is there. Oh, it just has like this this nice little hop and step to it of just like a nice rhythm and it flows well in itself. And like at the time when, when this was written, this would have actually been like quite outdated kind of prose and rhyming scheme and uh, meter. Here is an important question. When was Alice in Wonderland actually published? Do you know? It would have been in 1865. So that would have been when Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, the the full book as we know it today, was was published. It existed as a as a manuscript, Alice's Adventures Underground, maybe a year or two prior. Okay, but it's the 1860s. 1860s is is the time frame. Okay, so. It, this poem is more invoking that sort of romantic era of, of poetry. Yeah, I was thinking it's a bit Shelley and Keatsy. Yeah, it's it's definitely trying to give that vibe. And it's you know very much a, a romanticized version of you know the events of when they actually wrote the, the story. Most of the content of Alice uh, in Wonderland was ad-libbed on a riverboat trip with uh, Lewis Carroll and Alice Little and her two sisters on like a family trip. So it was very much a, I'm going to tell a story to the kids to keep them entertained because in spite of the title of the poem, the weather's kind of shitty. And I think uh, there's many of us at the moment who can appreciate, oh my gosh, we have to entertain the children somehow. What are we going to do? So here's a thought. Read them some poetry. See how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So like it was all just ad lib stories with one of the girls as the, the protagonist to keep them entertained. And the, the mother of the family asked Lewis Carroll after the fact, would you mind writing those down for us? Alice really loved them. And that slowly morphed into the manuscript, Alice's Adventures Underground, which slowly morphed into the published novel, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which is like, I think the third most printed piece of text in the English language. Can't you get it on a scarf or something now? I wouldn't doubt. Look, if you can get the B-movie script on a t-shirt, I'm pretty sure you can get Alice on a scarf. Yeah, there's like a whole line of scarves that are covered in the text of stories. So there's like Treasure Island and stuff. But I'm like, Treasure Island is a really long story. How do you fit the whole thing on a scarf? How big is it? Oh, it's a really long scarf. Plus, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I'm like, I, you know, I like things and I obviously get passionately attached to books and whatever. I keep them for... 20 years because I'm old enough to do that now. But I don't think I'd want it on a piece of merchandise where I'm showing off to other people that I've read a book. You know, I just find that strange. It's different if it's a book on your own actual bookshelf because you just need a place to store it. But if you're walking around with it in a public thing and it's very much a like the aesthetic of it. Yeah. Like the written word is not that aesthetic as a thing. It's not like translatable on a t-shirt. You know? Yeah. So, something like the B-movie thing is meant to be in that whole, like, Dada-ist, this is so stupid, it's kind of, like, brilliant. 
Ah, uh, yes, but not everybody can be that ironic and get away with it. Yeah, but can they be that ironic ironically and get away with it? I mean, I'm not going to lie. Do you, I, don't, I don't know if other people also have. I'm going to confess a secret to you guys because no one can hear me, right? Uh, I don't really know how to use the word ironic accurately. Because, you know, people are all like, uh, like Alanis Morissette definitely got it wrong. And I'm like, okay, so what is the right version? And then people go, blah, 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 blah. And you don't actually get a proper explanation of how to use it correctly. You just know that Alanis Morissette is wrong. So I'm a bit like, Maybe I just won't ever use that word and it'll be fine. There are too many words I use that I don't actually know the word, the, the meaning of, but I know how they're used and that's good enough. That's yeah. I had that from reading books. I The word epitome, right? Like the epitome of something. I only ever saw it written down. And so I pronounced it epitome because that's how it's spelled. Oh my God. I, I was waiting for you to finish your story so I could say that I went around saying epitome for ages before someone corrected me. I know. I was fully si- like 15 or 16 years old before someone's mother went to me. You know, Jenna, you're using that word in the right context, but you're pronouncing it completely wrong. It's pronounced epitome. And I went, well, it shouldn't be <laughs> because it's spelt epitome. Like, see, tome of a book. See EpiPen, Epi Tome. So this is one of my major bugbears about the English language. And yet here we are. Because I study German and German is beautiful because German is phonetically pronounced exactly the same way every single time. None of this though, through, there, thou nonsense. It's just the same every time. And it's consistent. So you can you can read a German word without ever being without having any idea what it means once you know how to pronounce the sounds. And I look at that and I look at English and I look at all the people who complain that German is this ugly, difficult to understand language. I'm like, no, German has a beautiful simplicity at its center. And English is very complicated. Yeah, because we took all the best things from everywhere else and we've made this eclectic pile of nonsense. Well, I mean, this is the other thing, right? Because people say German is a very ugly language and they go, and what is the proof of that? The word butterfly. In English, the word is butterfly. It's a beautiful word, blah, blah, blah. In French, it's papillon or something like this. My French accent has descended significantly since secondary school. And in German, it's schmetterling. And they go, oh, that's such an ugly word. Every single person who ever does it goes, schmetterling. And I'm like, you're just... Overpronouncing it. Nobody speaks like that. In Germany, it's Schmetterling, which is not an ugly word inherently. It's just your bias against the German language makes you pronounce it in an ugly way. Even that like ling at the end is like nice and fluttery and like light. Yeah, Schmetterling. It's a nice word. It's a good language and people are giving it shtick and they shouldn't. And that has been this week on Jenna's Rants about the German language. (laughs) So what language will you be bringing us next week? Oh, I only speak, I, well, no, I don't even speak German that well. I can read it fine. I can read Harry Potter in German, but I can't speak it at all. And so I do not speak any other languages. But maybe someday we'll get someone on who can speak Irish. Wouldn't that be, like, uh, unironically, wouldn't that be lovely? It would, actually. It would be really nice. Um, you know, it's one of these things, because I moved to London, and immediately after secondary school, I went to college in London. I went to uni. That's an, if we're going to talk about ugly words, let's talk about uni. Oh my As God. a shortening of a word. It's just unpleasant. But so I moved to England and never felt more Irish in my life and immediately forgot every word of the Irish language, <laughs> which was mildly devastating. So, uh, yeah, if we if we find somebody who writes poetry in Irish, I would be all for getting them on here to talk to us. Speaking of guests coming on, I believe you have somebody for us today. I do. She's not Irish. She is, in fact, American. Uh, her name is Sage Anne. She's a friend of mine and a poet. And she will be talking to us in a little bit about some of her poems and how she got into writing poetry. 
But before we get Sejan on, I do believe that we owe you guys a prompt for this week. And what is it? So are you are you sitting comfortably? I'm about as comfortable as I can get. Then let us begin. Well, we're all sitting at home now, aren't we? So we're, we're all still in our pajamas. It's a whole new way of living. You're not wearing a suit for this? <laughs> Am I supposed to be? I have really misinterpreted my own dress code. I mean, I can come in top hat and tails next time. It's not a problem. I'll save it for the next time I'm reading Carol. Okay. Which will be soon enough, won't it? Um, okay. So our prompt for this week, guys, is moved by the music. And basically, like last week, pretty simple. Kind of do what it says on the tin. You choose a song and listen to it, letting it influence you as you write the first draft of your poem. So uh, what are you thinking? Are we thinking a happy song, a sad song? I quite like sad songs in major keys that just sound really happy. Like I'm, I'm very much in that whole folk punk, positive, negative energy space. By folk punk, like literally all I know about that is Frank Turner is folk punk, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how he describes himself. So yeah, it's, it's, it's folksy acoustic instruments and guitars and that kind of instrumentation, but the lyrics are all very like punk rock. Okay. So that will be an interesting poem that comes out of that one, I reckon. Yeah. Is there any artist you're leaning towards or any? Um, like in that vibe, not necessarily a folk punk song, but like possibly uh, I Don't Trust You Anymore by Left at London. I'm also possibly going to be having a look at Drunken Misanthropic Loser uh, by Days and Days. And this is where we discover that not only am I uncultured, but I am uncool because I have no idea if these are bands or single individual people or collectives or anything, if they're even humans. They, they could be a number of things. Are they lizard people? No. Don't you know that all music nowadays is algorithmically generated? That is the most depressing idea anyone has ever confronted me with. Oh, I have some upsetting AI-driven websites to show you later. Oh, please don't. What kind of music will you be having to listen to for your inspiration this week? Is it Muse? I am obviously a wildly different music listener because I'm like, if it's one instrument and one voice, I am all over it. So mostly I listen to sad singer-songwriters who at the moment, at the moment it is going really well for me because they do a lot of concerts on Instagram. And because they're just one person and one instrument, that works fine on Insta from their own house. <laughs> so it's actually going quite well, uh, as opposed to like some other bands that have auto-tune and techno stuff and all kinds of things on top of it. You know, like a lot of additional stuff going on that doesn't necessarily translate as well to their living room. Um, so I presume I will be writing quite a sad song about something, probably about love or relationships or one of these things, because that's what all the sad songs are about, really. Oh, I'm living for this. And we'll see how it goes. Excellent. Uh, in the meantime, let us hear how that interview goes with Sejan. All right, folks, I'm here with my friend Sejan, who is a poet, and uh, she's going to give us not necessarily tips on how to write better poetry, but more, you know, a conversation about how one gets into poetry and what that means to her. So, Sejan, with that in mind, do you remember when you started writing poetry that wasn't like a school assignment? Um, yeah, you know, I've always kind of had poetry be something that was almost like, it kind of started off as like a personal diary in a way, because you're kind of getting things out on paper to try and like... I don't know, kind of make sense of things going on in your own head, or maybe you're inspired by things that you want to just describe. Um, so I never really thought about it from an assignment point of view. I actually didn't have much school training in poetry. Um, and I only really started writing again last year, actually, back in September. 
But I think the first poem I wrote, I was about 16. And that was just, I think, yeah, just kind of spilled out. (laughs) And um, do you still have that poem or have you destroyed it? Oh, I'd say I've probably destroyed it. I've probably like burned it in a fire. (laughs) (laughs) So the world is missing out on the early work. That's very sad. But um, so then what inspired you to start writing again last year? Um, I think last year was a huge year of change for me. So kind of like, I never even really thought about poetry for a while. And then I like, I went through a big breakup last year um, and I was kind of dealing with a lot of uncertainty and I was kind of thinking like, how can I channel this in a productive way? And luckily I had a few friends that started a writing group, Jenna, and I think that that kind of seeing other people share writing kind of made me also want to get involved. Um, And so it kind of just came over me. I was like kind of going through kind of like a little, you know, a bit of heartbreak. And I was like, okay, how can I kind of get this out on paper Um, and kind of like remove it from my own brain and like look at it, you know, unbiased and kind of help me like process things. So I think it kind of started more as like part of like a personal healing. And then I kind of took it then to the next stage of like, okay, I actually, you know, I like this and I do have a little bit of you know, like um, a natural kind of disposition for it. And I want to take it more seriously. And then I kind of started looking at myself more um, as a writer kind of for the first time. And it was like really exciting. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad our little writers group could help. So with that in mind, if you started again because of a big heartbreak, would you say that's kind of one of your most common themes or are there other things now that you've been doing it a bit longer and you're a bit more into it that come up that you want to talk about and sort of process? Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, the first poem I wrote back last year was definitely related to kind of, you know, the heartbreak, but also like just being vulnerable, because I think that poetry can be a very vulnerable thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, you could write about things that maybe you haven't personally experienced. But for me, it's always been about kind of my own experiences. And so what I was dealing with my in my life at the time was just a lot of heartbreak and so I kind of wrote a lot of like pseudo emo romantic poetry. <laughs> and yeah, and I think kind of since then, I've, um, I've tried to diversify a little bit. I mean, I think choosing to write romantic poetry, you're into a fairly large market there. You know, there's the history of the romantics with a capital R. So you're in the whole area of Keats and Shelley and Byron and all those guys. And I mean, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about all the people who wrote poems before you? Or is it just for yourself? I would say... Primarily, it's for myself. Um, like poetry has always been just a very personal thing for me that I do kind of for myself and it just kind of spills out. So I haven't really, I'm not actually a big poetry reader, although I'm trying to kind of change that and educate myself a bit more. But I don't know, I think that there's a lot of romantics out there. (laughs) And it is kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of exciting because it's like we are all kind of, you know, you think like you you have like your own experience, but we all actually have this like group shared experience. And so like if something I write, even if I start by writing it for myself, if something I write can help someone else kind of feel better or make sense of their own emotions, like that's another aim of mine. Um, because I do try and frame my poems in a way where, you know, the like the reader can connect in some way. So it's not it's my own experience, but I'm, I am now kind of in the sense of trying to write for for the reader as well. So you started thinking about a potential audience a bit more. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So then how do you go about starting a poem? Has that changed since your understanding of why you're writing? Has 
evolved? Yeah. Um, so like when I, yeah. So when I first started, it was like, okay, I'm feeling maybe overwhelmed by something and let me just get it out and be like total stream of consciousness. But now it's kind of more, you know, although you have to find the balance of not trying to force it because there's times where I've sat down and I've been like, okay, I'm going to write today. And I suppose we all have like that little bit of writer's block, but I think with poetry, it can be that bit harder because again, poetry really is, I think for poetry to be good, and this is just like my totally biased opinion, but I think for poetry to be good, it has to be raw because poetry is like a very kind of like lyrical thing that you're kind of describing emotions. So I like, it can be hard sometimes to be like, to try and write in a structured way. Um, but I am trying to get better at that. So what I kind of did to kind of, you know, change my writing style is I would look at different prompts. Um, so, and I would try and get inspired by prompts or get inspired by things kind of going on in the world. So I could maybe try and write about things outside of like my own universe. And that I think has helped me improve as a poet because you're kind of, you can still kind of have like your, you know, 3am kind of blurbs that you're like, oh, I'm just going to write and see what comes out. Um, but I think it can also be good to try and begin writing in a more structured way and um, to like, you know, just to improve your own capabilities and also like diversify. And then you can be surprised what comes out. Like I wrote a poem recently um, and I was inspired by a prompt on global injustice. And, you know, it's kind of something that um, it's a sensitive topic, especially like right now, you know, cause I'm American. So being from America, there's a lot going on, um, that's making people like very upset. So I think sometimes getting like anger and frustration out on paper can help in that, in that way as well. So then are you finding that as you write, um, for this different audience and you start using the prompts that what you're actually writing about is changing? You're writing more about global issues rather than personal ones. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think like you have to get inspiration from things outside of yourself as well, because like at first I kind of wrote only, yeah, this like romantic kind of poetry. And then I kind of felt like I was putting myself in a box a little bit. Um, and I wanted to see kind of, you know, what else I could find interesting. And I kind of wanted to challenge myself um, because I think if you want to start taking writing more seriously, you do have to kind of start writing about things that either make you maybe a little bit uncomfortable or you haven't written about before. Um, and I think like prompts are a great way of doing that. And so you mentioned that you write poetry as a kind of emotional response to things. And do you think that is part of what draws you to poetry rather than writing prose? Because, you know, if you write a novel, you review it a bunch of times and you edit it a lot and you have to, in some ways, construct it more than maybe a poem that you sort of write at three in the morning. And so would you, would you ever consider writing prose or are you definitely sure that you're a poet? Um, I've also tried to start novels at three in the morning and it did not go well. <laughs> it's in, yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to try and transition more into writing short stories. And I, it's always kind of been like a dream of mine to write a novel, but I have this bad habit of like, I'll get these ideas and I'll kind of maybe start a chapter or start an outline, but I'm just not as motivated to stick with it. I think there's something in a way, maybe more beautiful about poetry because it's like, you know, it's something that you don't always even have to edit. So for me, like a lot of my poems are kind of more like a first draft, kind of just get it all out there. And then you know, and you're kind of on autopilot. So you're not like really editing yourself. Whereas like you said, like with a novel, it's like, you know, you're kind of writing a story that maybe pieces of you kind of infiltrate or like you pull characters, you know, from your own experience, but it's kind of, you know, an edited thing. That's like a long-term project. Um, whereas what I really like about poetry is kind of the, the realness, 
the the emotion behind it and you know kind of it can just the urge can just come on but I would I would like to write more prose I'm just a little bit lazy too I think you have to have a really good attention span well yeah it's also a totally different art form it can be tricky to swap from one to another but on that kind of idea how do you how do you know this is a question I've always wondered about poetry how do you know when your poem is finished Yeah, um, that's something I think I struggled with at the beginning as well. And, you know, and actually, I only even thought about this when I was sharing a poem with a friend. And she said how much she really liked it, but she said it felt kind of unfinished. And reading it back, kind of thinking about it through her lens, I could kind of see that because I think I used to think about it like, okay, maybe I wouldn't have a poem longer than a page. I tried to think that there was some like magical limit of like, okay, you know, try and try and wrap it up. And then I would kind of like force endings to some poems when maybe there was more there that I could either kind of like finish the story or maybe I didn't quite hit home the, like what I was trying to make the reader feel. So I've tried to stop doing that. I think trying to put structure on a poem sometimes can be detrimental. So for me now, if it's done, I'll kind of think like, okay, do I end on some like, you know, am I, is there a question hanging in the air at the end that I want my reader to think about all day? Or do I end with some kind of finality, like some final kind of like moment that like the reader's like, oh damn, you know, like, so um, and again, that can be hard because if you're if you're the one writing it, you're staring at it for so long, you know, that you you might feel like it's done, but maybe someone else feels like, you know, they want a bit more. So I think also getting like peer feedback can be really good to help you kind of like learn how to end poems in a good way. But yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. It sounds to me like you're just telling tiny stories with your poems. I basically am. Yeah. It's it's kind of like yeah, I, I yeah, it's like it's um storytelling really yeah it's just a different way of doing it so is there you know you said a page is you haven't you have given up this idea of a poem has to be shorter than a page but is there too long for a poem i don't think so no um because i think well the longest poem i've written is only three pages so but i think like i needed that length because i actually tried to cut it off i think halfway through and i was like no, you know, it's better longer. I think I want to continue the story because now that you say it, yeah, I do. I do. I am transitioning to a lot of like storytelling through my poems. And so I think that then, you know, you want it, you're almost developing a character. So maybe there's something happening in the poem, like some action and yeah, you don't want to cut that off. Yeah. So you just, you have to just keep going until whatever it ends, even if it's 200 sounds as long. Yeah, exactly. You write a 20 page poem. I'd love to read it. <laughs> I I think considering this week is the second poem I've ever written in my adult life, it's going to be a while before I write a 20-page one. But I'll let you know if I get to it. We're not quite at Howell yet. No, not yet. So on that as well, do you feel like... I know, I mean, I've read some of your poems and some of them rhyme and some of them don't. And what do you think about rhyming as a thing within a poem? Like, is there a time when it's unnecessary or is it an essential element or, you know, how would you think about it? Uh, I definitely do not think rhyming is essential because I think it goes back to just from my own experience. Like the bottom line is like, don't force it. I don't think poetry is ever something that should be forced. And I think if you get it in your head, like, oh, every other line has to rhyme, you know, sometimes structure can be good. Like if you want it to sound kind of more rhythmical and you want to do something like a one, two, two, one, or one, two, one, two type of rhyming. Sometimes that can add to the poem, but like you can write a good poem without worrying so much about rhyming. Like I have some poems where maybe they were like five lines, no rhyming at all, but 
it's more about the imagery versus like how you're actually putting the words together. So it kind of depends on your own style. Um, so maybe like rhyming doesn't come naturally to you. And then maybe you would have written a better poem focusing on the imagery or like the visual element. So it just depends on the tone of the story you're trying to get across. Uh, and I, so I just really don't think that it's always necessary. It's more maybe about getting across like the emotion or painting the scene that you have in your head. Um, so that like the reader can visualize it. Yeah. I think that makes sense. There's like, I, I always thought the thing that drew me to poetry is that there aren't really set rules that have to be followed. You know, if you write a novel, you have to have an act structure. You have to have a I mean, unless you're writing a surrealist novel, which is a whole other experience, but there's a kind of set form that a novel takes, whereas a poem can be so much more open-minded than that in some ways. It's quite an appealing form. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of, of thinking about it. Like absolutely no rules and there should be no rules to poetry, you know? And then, I mean, if you're trying to think, I suppose maybe down the line, if you're trying to think about maybe making something publishable, like I'm actually in the process of trying to write a chapbook. So it's like a 24 page kind of short collection. And then you have to think a bit more about how do these things how do these poems maybe flow together? And you can kind of think more in that sense. But if you're just starting out or, you know, if you just want to write a poem, like just see what comes out. I don't think don't ever put yourself like in um, like a scholarly box. I love it. That's exactly the attitude we're taking, because obviously the whole idea of this is we have the prompts that we give to people, but we want people to join in and try the poems and do the prompts and see what they come up with and just sort of explore this side that they may never have experienced for themselves. Yeah. Like don't judge yourself. Yeah. Because like I would really judge myself when starting to write poetry and then you have to just let that go. You know. And the important thing for most people listening to this podcast is they don't have to read their efforts out on the internet. So nobody else needs to know if you don't want to show it to them, which is nice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. My situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can just have a really cool like pseudonym. Uh, yeah. I think that ship has sailed. They know my name. It's fine. It's okay. I'll take it. But so when you write a poem, you know, particularly the kind of the more emotional ones that you've been talking about, do you feel different after you've written the poem? Do you feel like you've been changed by any of your poems? Yeah, I think maybe not in the in real time, but like later on. So actually, when I was thinking, of, I was looking through some of my poems in preparing for this podcast, and I was looking back at one I had written um, last year that I wrote from a very kind of vulnerable place. And uh, like looking back at it, I was almost kind of laughing at myself because it's like, you know, you you can kind of like view your, like, it's, it's almost like keeping a track of like your own experiences, you know, when you're writing some poems. So like what I was saying before about keeping like a personal diary. So it can actually almost view my own progression through the poems I write, if that makes sense. Um, so I can be like, oh yeah. yeah, like six months ago I was going through this and I, I kind of wrote about that and I'm not really in that place anymore, but that was a part of like my experience. So I can kind of view myself changing through some of my poems. Um, but in terms of like, if I just write something and get it out, yeah, it can be an interesting experience because you might write something that you didn't even realize was inside of you. So you're almost like discovering yourself through poetry as well. I don't know. I think poetry is like a very intimate like um, practice. So do you think, you know, if you could read that poem that you wrote when you were 16, do you think you would notice a difference between yourself then and yourself now? Oh yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Do you remember um, what that one was yeah. about? I'd say it was probably very like emo, probably very emotional. Yeah, I think like growing up, I always kind of struggled with like depression. So I think probably I was like in a place where I didn't have the resources to deal with it. So it was more again like a diary type style. Um, I'd say it probably made no coherent sense. <laughs> 
But yeah. well, if it made sense to you, it doesn't necessarily need to make sense to other people, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. I think I actually probably do have uh, a whole historical set of poems on my old laptop, and now I kind of want to get them out. I'm curious. Well, if you ever want to send any of them into us, we'd love to hear them. So thinking about, you mentioned sort of at the beginning that you're starting to look into poetry more as a as a thing that you put a bit more work into and you're trying to read more poetry. So is there anybody either from your past or from now who's really particularly inspired you or you think is someone other people should maybe read or listen to? Um, yeah. So I think like when I first started writing, so yeah, in, in high school, I read a lot of books by the novelist Ellen Hopkins. Um, and so she kind of writes all of her books, like they're, they're novels, but they're written in like a lyrical format. So uh, and it's not like just in segments, like each page is almost like a poem. So it's like 300 poems that are telling one single story. And I think that really inspired me when I first started, because also all of her books are on like young adult issues. Uh, I think she really influenced me when I first started writing when I was younger. And then now that I'm like writing again, I think I'm really inspired by musicians, actually, um, more than like traditional poetry. And I think that that's because songwriters... Like, especially if you even think about an album, like an album is almost like a collection of poetry. Like I've been listening to this artist, uh, Matt Mason recently, and he's kind of like an up and coming artist. And he has this album where like the first song is about, you know, him at his lowest point. And then each song is like, you're kind of witnessing him go through his struggle and then get some self-awareness and like overcome it. Um, so I think like albums, like the way that they're set are like a collection of poems. And then like each song within an album if you look at like a really good like lyricist, you know, it's not a, it's not every artist out there, of course, but a good lyricist, um, even like Lana Del Rey, like she's she's also writing her own poetry book. And a lot of her songs to me are like poetry. So I think that they're probably my biggest inspiration because also it's a bit more relatable, I think, than than traditional poetry for me. Um, but that's also just my my writing style I think, as well. Yeah. So that kind of because a lot of music can be very raw, like lyrics can be very raw and very emotional and quite personal. So I guess that's sort of speaking to that way that you write poetry at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And like, I might just like, I think I was, I, there's this band that I listened to called Bayside. And when I was writing my like romantic poetry, they kind of really spoke to me because they like explained, you know, like sometimes like a, a musician or like they can kind of explain a feeling in like two lines, kind of like a poet, you know, like I really do think there are so many parallels. So they had this line that was like, the spark inside your eyes was the match I used to set myself on fire, which I thought like, you know, it's like something like just visualizing like a feeling and putting it out there in song. And I kind of just feel like that's what I like to do when I write poetry is like, you kind of, you take an emotion and you figure out how to visualize it and you use kind of like tools like with different imagery um, to try and get like the emotion across. So would you ever consider putting any of your poems to music and turning them into songs? I would love to. Um, I'm not too musically talented. I've, I've tried to start learning the learning the guitar because like it, it would be like, I think something fun. Um, and I have thought about like, how would you kind of turn a poem into an actual song? But I think that's something I would need a bit of training on. But I, I do think that it's quite easy to make that jump in between the two. Yeah, I really do think it's one of these interesting things. I've been listening to Bastille's newest album, Doom Days, and they've said that, that the entire album is a night out. And if you listen to it in the right order, it goes through all the phases of a night. And when you do listen to it, 
you can definitely feel that vibe. You know, it's midnight and everybody's having a great time. And then it gets to four in the morning and everybody's crashing. And then there's like, and it's, it is a story. It is absolutely a story told through their poetry. Um, so it is quite an interesting field, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of my, like, I love Metallica. One of my favorite artists is Metallica. And like, they have this song called Turn the Page. And it's like a long song, but it's just all about them kind of being on the road and like all about kind of moving on and like turning the page. And yeah, I just think like, because people, everyone uses music, you know, to set their mood. I think like, I think music and mood are so connected. So like there's a song out there that can describe kind of whatever you're feeling. Um, and I think that's how some people can use poetry as well. You can look at it from a scholarly kind of context or just, you know, maybe read a poem and it helps you kind of make sense of like your own life, I think. And I think like songs, people can find different meaning. Like if you, if I were to read a poem and you were to read a poem, we might extract different meaning from that poem. Just like if I, if we were to listen to the same song, we might extract a different meaning from that song because I think we are kind of biased by our own experience in that way. So if you're a good songwriter or a good poet, it's kind of, there can be multiple interpretations, I think. I think that's a really interesting one because so often when you learn poetry in school, you read the poem and then your teacher tells you, this is what this means and this is what that means and this alliteration has done X. And, you know, it, there's, it's like there's a right and a wrong answer. And I think what I really find refreshing about your poetry or people like Rupi Kaur or those kind of poets is that there isn't a right and a wrong answer. There is just a response, which is such a different thing, but so much more important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's, I, I love, yeah, hearing that because that is something I do try to get across. And definitely like I've, I've shared some poems with people where they've come back with completely different interpretations and I've actually had them come back with an interpretation I never even thought of. And then I could kind of see it through their eyes. Um, so it's kind of like, it can be like a mutual experience. So we can teach you about other people's experience then as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. And do you have a poem that you would like to share with us this week? One of your own? Yeah, sure. It was very hard to decide. <laughs> there was so many I want to share, but I thought that I kind of wanted to go with a mood of kind of what's going on just right now with um, coronavirus and May being mental health awareness for Europe. Um, I think a lot of us have struggled with feelings of isolation these last couple of months. Um, and so I was kind of inspired by that. So I wanted to share a poem that is kind of just dealing with feelings of um, isolation and darkness, but trying to be optimistic and remembering that we're kind of all going through it, you know? So I want to share this poem called uh, Creeping Dark. So I will read it now. Yeah, take it away. It lurks like black in the shadows. It pools like water in the rain. It lays like dust on the mantle, hiding in plain sight. It brings thoughts that stack like books on the shelf, filling jars with sorrow stored for safekeeping. It's nights spent alone counted with chalk on the wall, beside windows that are openly weeping. It's time ticking from a broken clock, illuminated by the light from a cracked bulb. It's written on the pages falling from a torn notebook heavy with lies it was sold. It's clothes hanging from a dirty window, next to ripped blankets covering the bed. It's disguising itself in the surrounding rooms, shouting silent words that were never said. It's in the weight of the waves that crash but never reach the shore, in the birds that leave the nest but never fly. It's the hoping as kites are hurled on the beach that never seem to reach the sky. 
It follows those of us it chooses. It never lets a day go by. But in the end, it's the one that loses if you keep your chin up high. Thank you. That was beautiful. And I think it's, it does exactly what you were talking about before. It tells a story. And if you were to cut it off any earlier, we would miss the optimistic note at the end. And it would just be quite a sad poem. Yeah, on a point from earlier, I do like to, um, I love like some themes that I write about. I love to use like bright imagery and contrast it with maybe like a darker emotion. So I love kind of like contrasting elements in poetry. Yeah, I think you can kind of see that in the bit that always gets me about this poem is in the birds that leave the nest but never fly. I feel like it's just such a poignant statement about, I mean, I don't know if this is what you meant by it, but this is multiple interpretations. There is no right answer, only a response. Um, You know, people kind of of our generation who came out of university after the financial crash and then we've just about got our lives sorted out and now the economy is in the tank again and you know, we would love to fly, but there's just no way for us to do it sometimes. And that can be a very heavy thought to have to live with that other people have made these decisions and other things have happened so far beyond your control that you can't do anything about them and you just have to pick up the pieces. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I was kind of thinking about in a sense of like, yeah, maybe there's a bit of like hopelessness there because things are out of your control, but you know, we're all going through it together. So yeah. And uh, just before you go, is there anything, where can we find you? How can we see more of your poetry? Is there anything you want to tell us about that's coming up? Uh, Yeah. So um, I'm in the process of writing my own chapbook, uh, which is like a short collection. And I want to see if I can get it published or otherwise self-publish. So when that's ready, I can send you the link if you would love to share it out. Uh, in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram, which is at Sejan um, or at Call Me Keats. Cool. And is there anything else that you feel our listeners need to know about writing poetry or experiencing poetry that you want to tell them? Um, I think just my main things are don't force it and don't judge yourself and just let yourself be raw and kind of see where it goes. I like that. I think that's a that's a better, a good message for life in general. You know, if we all stopped worrying so much about how much everybody else was judging us and just relaxed more into who we are, I think life would be a little bit easier. Exactly. Yeah. I think writing really helped me with that. It helps you kind of build confidence, I think, as well. So. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Sejan. We have to let her go and get back to her regular life. And when we get back, you get to hear the poems that Parker and I have been writing this week. poet we come back to the amateurs um our prompt if you guys remember was listen to the music so we had to basically pick a song and let that song inspire us to write a poem based around the idea so true to form i ended up picking kind of a sad song i picked my fault how sad a song was it i mean it's not super sad i could have actually gone a lot worse i picked a song called my fault by the coronas and it was really and actually an interesting thing because I, when I heard the song, it sounded like the other side of a breakup that I went through a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's basically, as far as I interpret the song, which is Sejan has just told us, there is no such thing as a right answer or a wrong answer, only your personal response. So don't at me about it. Was that the, he knows that there's something wrong in the relationship and he knows that she's kind of checking out, but he doesn't want her to. And that was kind of where we were in our relationship when it broke up. Like I knew it was over and he kind of knew that I felt like it was over and he didn't really want it to end. And so I started thinking about that as a poem. And what I ended up doing was writing the first draft was a response 
to the song in a way, kind of explaining my position. And then the second draft is kind of, it's both sides of the argument, I guess, in one. So it's kind of, it's quite an odd experience. And I don't know if it's super ambitious for my second ever poem, because <laughs> I'm going to need a little bit of assistance. I think I will be. But you gotta, you gotta aim high, aim for the stars. And if you miss, you'll suffocate in the atmosphere of space, but it'll be cool to watch. I mean, I don't think stars have much atmosphere either. So no, but you'll burn up fast. At least. I'm going to suffocate either way. No, no, you'll burn. Oh, great. So I can, I can die fast or I can die slow. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of optimism we're bringing you every fortnight. Don't you, don't you want to be the candle that burns bright from all directions in a nanosecond? You know, like, I think I'm too old for that. You know, if you're going to be one of these young, bright stars, you have to die before you hit 30. That ship has sailed. I still have time. Don't step on my dreams. Tread softly before you tread on my dreams. <laughs> Do you have a title for your poem? Well, kind of. It's, I, it's actually the title that I thought the song had. And then I learned I was wrong about that. And I decided to keep it for mine instead, because then I'm not stealing their title. So it's called Will You Wait? Which, if you listen to the song, makes a lot more sense than if you read the poem. But there we are. Shall we go for it? All right. So this is, this is my interpretation of our song challenge this week. Hope you guys like it. Listen. I don't know you. I think sense it's sadness personified. I, I want need to go on that love note rings hollow. You, you can't, can't change, change this goodbye. So how was the experience actually writing that for you? Well, it was interesting because, you know, because one of the things I was talking to Sejan about was the sort of emotional, personal, vulnerable nature of poetry. And the first draft was that. It was a lot more closely based on what had really happened between me and this guy. And then this kind of second draft was more in the realm of like every person, hmm. um, you know, like a kind of once you find the true note of the experience, the individual events don't necessarily change the core of the event. If you know, if that makes any sense at all. There's a sort of rhyming going on when different people suffering that there's only so much range of how different it could be. Yeah. And there's kind of core emotions and core experiences at the center of an action or an event that are the same, even if the events are different, I guess. Yeah, I totally get that. So I think the the second draft is much more generic in some ways, but I'm hoping that because it's based off of like an actual true event, it's hit on true emotions as it were. But yeah, it's quite a weird experience because when I initially started it, it was supposed to be that not only do the two people talking to each other make sentences, but also each individual, one of them make sentences. Okay. Um, like by themselves. So you could read them, you could read their half of the conversation and it would kind of make sense. And I was initially doing that, but it actually ended up just sounding really artificial and it lost a lot of the musicality of it. So it just kind of became a bunch of words on a page. So I gave that up. But even that was kind of an interesting experience, you know, trying something and having to accept that it wasn't working. And I think, I think I went from being more of a novelist going, oh, you have to tell a story in like straightforward pattern to hopefully being more like a poet who is more interested in the feeling evoked than the form in which it comes. Am I getting very pretentious for two weeks of writing poetry? No, I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated listening to you. Like I've, I've also gone super introspective, um, but rather than like try and abstract that into the general that, you know, anybody could relate to. I, I kind of, I kept it personal and kept it specific to me. Well, that's actually, that's really interesting. Um, you know, you sort of have the two 
options of how to take a poem, you know, whether to make it something thinking about the other people who are going to hear it or whether you're doing it kind of as a cathartic thing for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Like, do you want to be as big as the world or as small as yourself? Is that a quote from something? No, maybe I'm just like that profound that the things I say sound like quotes. Um, I've been reading this book the last few days called Frankenstein by Jeanette Winterson. And I absolutely love it because she sort of breaks the fourth wall every so often and just informs you down the bottom of the page when a character says something, she'll just go, that is the most profound thing this character has ever said. <laughs> and, it's just, I really, and I feel like you've just done that. You've broken the fourth wall and everybody's on your own existence and just informed the universe. This is the most profound thing they've ever said. And it's not even dinner time yet. Yeah. All right. So what was, what was your song that you worked with? So the song I ended up going with is I'm Not a Good Person by Pat the Bunny. That's an optimistic outlook on your own life. Nice one. Right? Um, sort of a folk punk song. Um, Pat the Bunny used to be part of uh, Wingnut Dishwashers Union, um, which is a great song called um, Jesus Loves the Dishes, which I would recommend anyone listen to. Um, wait, 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 wait. What's the band name? Wingnut Dishwashers Union. I mean, this sounds like a party. Oh, it's a hell of a party. But yeah, I'm, I'm Not a Good Person is just like, yeah, I... I am being very frank. I'm not a good person. I don't do the things I should do. And I don't know why I'm this way. And like, you know, I'm sober now. And part of coming to terms with that sobriety is recognizing when you're at fault and learning to accept that and, you know, admit when you fucked up and that when things are not okay for you. And I think there's, there's power to be able to, to say that. So, so my poem is just channeling some of those emotions from, you know, right before my sobriety when I was battling um, my, my self-worth quite a lot. Okay, well, that sounds significantly more serious and heavy than I was writing, but let's hear it. Uh, the title for it is A Better Enemy. I'm a better enemy than you ever tried to be. You make it so easy to hate me. I used to be someone's kid, so what happened to him? Living with my regret, just forget. Watching my loved ones fall apart. It's cruel to let you love me, but I'm too lonely to try anything else. I can hardly be, and I can barely sleep. I'll just keep my hands busy, keep my mind occupied, and hope I pass out and wake up somewhere nicer. I'm a lover. I'm a blighter. I just want these memories out of my head. Here, stuck in bed, screaming into a pillow so no one can hear. The sand between my rotting toes, heat on my blistered face, air roaring in my ears, about to drown my sorrows. And so having written that and read it now where people are going to hear it, how does it feel as an experience? This is a question I asked Sejan in the interview. I was like, are you ever changed by the writing of a poem? And I feel like that's the kind of poem that you might end up feeling different afterwards. I'm happy it exists. I'm happy that it's, it's there and it's a thing people are going to hear. That, you know, I can take some of these experiences out of my own head and externalize them and make them into like an object with some kind of permanence that I can look at and say this was a moment in my life and I can look it over and just not recognize it as something that I identify with anymore. So you want to be able to look back on it and feel like you've moved past it? Yeah, exactly. Like this is very much where I would have been at the start of my sobriety. And this is not the person I am anymore reading through these words, but it was, it was definitely the person I used to be. So then is the, you know, being able to look back on that experience and write something about it, 
is that in itself a kind of victory for, you know, how far you've come that you can look back and go, that is a different person than the person I am now? You know, it really is to be able to just like be able to feel like I've made some progress. And, you know, I think it's important to state that progress isn't always linear. You know, people have setbacks and they have times and they fall off the wagon or, you know, they just don't make the progress in the time they think they do. But, you know, I think if you can get a little bit further today than what you were yesterday, then you know those days do add up. Yeah, I think it's like apropos that it's Mental Health Awareness Month, though it might not be when this episode comes out, but it certainly is at the moment. And I remember talking to someone about it because I think it's something that we all struggle with. And now more than ever, we're very aware of our mental health and the damage it's undergoing by being in isolation in various circumstances and, you know, concern about our relatives and whatever. And I think one of my friends, she had this way of, you know, there are days when you can give 100% of yourself and that's great. And there are days you can give 90% of yourself and that's cool too. And then there are days where you only have 12% of yourself to give. So provided you try and reach that 12%, then you have succeeded on that day to the best of your ability. And I think that's sort of, it's the same kind of thing as success is not a linear line. You know, there are going to be days where you're at hundred percent for ages. And then you have, if you have a couple of 12% days, that doesn't mean you're failing. It doesn't mean that you're not succeeding. It just means that you need a minute, you know? Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think this is one of those things, particularly that people don't admit to feeling and they don't talk about enough and, you know, kind of people have a hard time getting to the point where they can open up about darker experiences to their friends and to the people around them. And maybe, I mean, this is again, something that came up with Sejan, maybe poetry is a vessel to do that, to allow yourself to experience that vulnerability. And I think like there's, you know, a positivity in sharing that vulnerability that it encourages other people to, you know, hear it and, and recognize that you know this experience is not unique to me. I'm not the first person in history to, to deal with these problems. And people have dealt with these problems and they found solutions that work for them. You know, there there is a hope in in that sharing. And, you know, I hope sh- that sharing that kind of vulnerability, even this early on in the series, will, you know, encourage some people to have some introspective and, and realize that things can and will get better. Yeah, I think you know, life is, I'm getting like faux profound now, but life is all about change. Nothing actually stays the same, even if you do the same thing every day for 15 years, because you will age and you will get older and you will evolve as a person. And I think um, it's important to look back on where you were in order to keep track of where you're going, I guess, in some ways. There's a line from a song that used to terrify me when I was younger, that I now find to be quite calming um, and almost serene and a meditative sense everything in life is only for now that's yeah yeah i can see how that would be terrifying but you know maybe that's it's a good message to have right now this is only for now and we don't necessarily know what the future is going to look like but it will be different to this so maybe that's a good thing for some people and maybe it's not i think so having said all that i think it's about time we wrap up for this week do you have anything you would like to plug or recommend to our wonderful listeners who are the best podcast listeners in the world all three of them two of whom are related to me uh, no. <laughs> um i well i've just been thinking a lot about the nature of stories and subjective truth as you know right in right in this poem in particular the way i've written it it's the two people are telling the truth at the same time, but one truth is we're breaking up and the other truth is we shouldn't. And so there's this book I read a while ago called The Rift by Nina Allen. 
And it's basically this woman has a twin sister who was abducted by aliens, possibly, and reappears in her life. But is she really real? Is this person actually her sister? Did her sister really get abducted by aliens? Are aliens real? It's this whole kind of questioning. And what's wonderful about it is it doesn't actually have a proper, not spoiler, but it doesn't like tell you the answer. In some ways, it's a bit like a poem. It allows you to interpret parts of the story more literally or metaphorically or lyrically as you want, as you go on. And I just think it's a really interesting storytelling form. Oh, that's the kind of thing I love about David Lynch's work. Um, so that, that sounds right up my alley. For those of you who don't know, Parker has quite a significant crush on David Lynch's brain. So what are you, are you recommending us more David Lynch things today? No, not, not more David Lynch today. Uh, although I will say like young David Lynch is, is a hottie. Just putting that out there. Okay. So Parker also has a crush on past David Lynch. Uh, when we meet future David, we'll let you know how that goes. Um, so what are you recommending for us today? Uh, so I am recommending Upload, which is a new Amazon Prime original series. Uh, it is written and created by the creator of the US office. Um, it's a sort of light-ish uh, sci-fi series about a man who dies in mysterious circumstances and gets uploaded into a VR simulation to live out his afterlife, uh, as has become the cultural norm. Um, and there's very much a, you know, will, will they, won't they with, um, his customer support, um, contact. Uh, it's very sweet. It's really well acted. Um, it's like quite a believable sense of how the future would be in terms of just not so much the technology itself, but how we would interact with it. And the, the two leads are just really adorable together and i just genuinely enjoy any scene where they are just talking they just have amazing chemistry together interesting okay so it's uh it's a trippy new understanding of the brain that we're recommending this week apparently (laughs) hey the brain check it out it's pretty good it's an interesting experience uh as ever if you guys do try the prompt please do let us know and you can contact us at so the link is submissions at unemployedharlequin.com and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Unemployed Harl. That's Unemployed Harl on Twitter.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Unemployed Harlequin Productions. That's Facebook.com. Just in case you're, you're unaware of the Facebook. The, yes. And until next time, stay safe, crew. <laughs> stay safe. Have a good, wonderful time. Bye.